Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mr. Kohlberger, do you understand the charge in count one? Yes. Accused quadruple killer Brian Koberger has a big hearing coming up that could change the course of this whole case. Law and Crime Network's Anjanette Levy discusses what we can expect. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law & Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. Introducing the next generation of pepper spray. Meet Palm, a new maximum strength self-defense product with a patented modular design, revolutionizing the self-defense industry. Whether you're carrying the unit on your keys, snapping the unit on your backpack, your keychain, or carrying the unit in your pocket, Palm is the perfect everyday carry accessory. Palm's patented flip-top safety prevents any accidental misfire, and its maximum strength formula provides you with the necessary range and capacity to bring peace of mind to you and your loved ones. Quality, safety, performance, peace of mind. Learn more at palmpepperspray.com. So there is a big hearing about to happen in the Brian Koberger case that we want to talk to you about right now. This is, of course, the 28-year-old former criminology student who's charged with four counts of first-degree murder and burglary in connection with the brutal slayings of four University of Idaho students back in November of 2022. Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mogan, Zahner Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin were all found stabbed to death in their off-campus home. And prosecutors have indicated that if Koberger is found guilty they're going to seek the death penalty. And in fact, in Idaho, he could be executed by a firing squad. Now, we believe that there are going to be several motions that are going to be argued by the defense and the prosecution at this hearing. Let's start with the defense. First, we believe there's going to be a motion to stay the trial, meaning basically pause it. I believe a tentative date has been set for October 2nd for now. Second motion for the defense will be a motion to compel the prosecution to turn over evidence to them, to the defense. Third, a motion to dismiss the indictment. Now, the state, we believe, has three motions as well. One, a motion for a protective order, basically ensuring that they don't have to turn over certain material to the defense. Two, a motion to reconsider uh, an order about staying time for a speedy trial. Again, when is this trial going to happen? And three, this is a boring one, motion for a scheduling order. We won't talk about that one. Not, not too exciting. But there's a lot to talk about, and I want to bring in right now my co-host here on Sidebar, Law & Crime Network's very own Anjanette Levy, good to see you. How are you doing, Anjanette? Hi, Jesse. I'm well. How are you? I am good. I'm really excited for this hearing because from a legal point of view, I think it's going to be some interesting legal arguments, but also from somebody who's been following this case, it's going to dictate what this trial is going to look like and when it's going to happen. So let's actually start with the motion for stay. And I think it's going to be argued by both sides. And the way that I understand it is there is a problem that the defense has with the grand jury selection process? What do we know about that? Definitely. Well, well, first of all, I think that the defense has a problem with the fact that the state went to a grand jury at all and didn't have a preliminary hearing. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, that we believe that 
the defense really wanted that preliminary hearing. And they said as much in one of their responses to the state when the state was demanding that they turn over alibi information should they decide to present an alibi at trial. They basically said in one of their responses that they were deprived. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Of the ability to cross-examine state's witnesses and get information about a possible alibi because there was no preliminary hearing. And we've learned in covering this case that prosecutors going to a grand jury in Idaho is is somewhat rare. Uh, They typically go the preliminary hearing route, which allows the defense to cross-examine state's witnesses. They were looking forward to that. They didn't have that opportunity in this case. So they're saying, look, we are looking at these grand jury materials. We're, We're looking at subpoenas, transcripts, instructions, et cetera. And they believe that there were flaws in this process that improper instructions were given, possibly the questionnaire was flawed, and they're asking the judge to either toss out this indictment or send it back to a lower court for the preliminary hearing where they can then cross-examine witnesses. And they were actually intending, Jesse, which I think is interesting, on presenting their own witnesses during the preliminary hearing. You don't see that very often. A couple of things to point out here. So obviously the preliminary hearing would be in front of a judge, not jurors. And they think they thought that might be an advantage to them. You talk about some of the problems that defense has with the grand jury process. I was reading about this. They believe they've cited juror bias, improper statements that were made by the court, clerical errors about what was in the jury questionnaires. And I think the prosecution's response to that has been the defense is just trying to delay this. And these are not issues that that were so problematic that would taint the grand jury process. Or they say the defense is misreading the grand jury statute. I think the whole grand jury issue is fascinating because we talked about a few weeks ago, the defense brought up this issue that I've never heard before that they said under Idaho law, The grand jury was instructed improperly that Mm -hmm. they believe it shouldn't have been all they need to find is probable cause to come forward with indictment. They said the grand jury should have been instructed that the evidence has to show beyond a reasonable doubt our highest standard under the law. And they did this over a reading of a old Idaho law. I thought it was a fascinating aspect because never heard that before. As far as we know, grand juries, all they need to do is find probable cause. And I don't think the prosecution has responded to that argument yet. Maybe they will in the hearing. No, I I haven't seen that they've responded. And, you know, there's a lot of paper that flies around in this case. So there's a lot. And we we do our best to stay on top of it. But that was an interesting argument, Jesse, because the defense is saying, according to the Idaho Constitution, that 
the the standard is much higher for preliminary hearing for probable cause or whatever. It's higher than probable cause. This is their claim, according to the Idaho Constitution. They're saying the Idaho Supreme Court then made some ruling about probable cause, but they claim the Idaho Supreme Court didn't really have the jurisdiction or the ability to basically modify the state constitution. But it seems to me that probable cause really has been adopted as the standard for preliminary hearings. I will say I looked at this and apparently they were I don't remember what news outlet it was, but they were interviewing Idaho attorneys about this. And what I got back was this is ambiguous. No one's brought it up really before. I don't think the defense is probably going to win this battle because what if they've been having grand juries and criminal trials for centuries? So it's it just for decades, it just seems to me that the defense is not going to win that, but it'll be interesting to see if they can try to a new grand jury polled or, or try to send this back. Now, let's talk more about the motion to compel. So the idea here that the defense feels that there's information that the state has that they haven't shared. What can you tell us about that? They are asking for a number of items, including information about the investigative genetic genealogy that the FBI used to identify Brian Koberger as a suspect. They want that information because really, and I think I can say this with some level of authority having covered this case, and I was I was out in Idaho in December of last year when they put out the information about the white Hyundai. They had nothing that first week of December. They had unknown male DNA profile from a single source and a description of a white car. They weren't getting a hit in CODIS, so then they took the investigative genetic genealogy route because they needed to figure out who that DNA could have come from, who it could be related to. Again, my understanding is the way they did it, right, is they had, they took the DNA off of the knife sheath that was found at the crime scene. They put it through these genetic genealogy databases and it matched up to Brian Koberger's father. That was the tip that they they needed to go after Koberger. Then when they arrest him, they take his DNA And that's when it becomes, I think, a statistical match, Brian Koberger's DNA directly to the DNA that was found at the crime scene. But you've looked at this. You've spoken to experts about this, and they say it's not so simple, right? I did, and I've spoken to people who work in the genetic genealogy field who perform this type of work, and they say that it is. They say, you know, this is this is pretty groundbreaking stuff that's happening with genetic genealogy because they are able to build these family trees. And they say that at some point we're all kind of related. Most of us are related because families established communities in the United States. And so they're saying a lot of us share common traits within our DNA. And they say, so that's, it's a pretty reliable way to identify somebody. However, the the defense has retained their own genetic genealogy expert, Leah Larkin. She calls herself the DNA geek. She has her own website. And she said she's aware of some instances where the wrong profile was passed along, where maybe the, the law enforcement authorities were accessing websites that they shouldn't have been or databases that they shouldn't have been to build the trees and find somebody. So the defense is claiming there can be flaws in this, and they want to see the roadmap. They want to see all of the information about how the FBI was led to Michael Koberger and therefore Brian Koberger. They want to know how how they got there and whether or not there were any violations of terms of services of these databases and and whatnot, because this is this is what brought it all together. This is the linchpin of this case. It'll be interesting to see if they are compelled, the state is compelled to turn over this information, because typically 
they're not. In other cases, they haven't had to turn this stuff over. But this is such a big case, and it's a, a death penalty case. So you would think possibly the judge might think, well, you know, we're you guys are seeking to put put this guy to death for these awful homicides. Maybe the defense should get to take a peek at your work and see how you got to their guy. Yeah, and you also interviewed uh, C.C. Moore, who, who's very yes. renowned in this field as well. Um, and my understanding is C.C. Moore basically said genetic genealogy serves a purpose, maybe not all the mm -hmm. purposes that you need, right? Correct. And she interviewed her back in January when we were first getting word that genetic genealogy was used. And she said... Basically, this is a lead or a tip. You can't, it's just not, you can't lay everything on genetic genealogy. There's still investigative work that has to be done around that. So you would not or should not make an arrest based solely on genetic genealogy information. She calls it more of a tip or a lead, a DNA lead. And, yep. and it takes you in a direction. You still have to do things around that. Let's talk about this final issue and expand upon it a little bit more. When this trial is actually going to happen. So you have the defense who's trying to stay it, pause it. Then the prosecution has this motion to reconsider the order staying time for a speedy trial. Briefly explain what both sides are arguing here and what we can expect is going to happen from the judge. Well, the prosecution is essentially saying you wanted a speedy trial. The time, the time should be tolling. The clock should be ticking. The judge has paused that clock because of this issue over getting the grand jury testimony and things of that nature. They, also, the investigative genetic genealogy material, they want that as well. Uh, the prosecution says they should not be able to stay the time and stop the clock, if you will, because they want a speedy trial and they have everything. Prosecution has said, you have everything we have. We have turned over everything to you that we have, and we will be turning over other things that we get that you are entitled to. But the defense is saying, look, there's so much that we still don't have that we have requested that we feel we are entitled to that they don't think the clock should be ticking and the, the time should be tolling as they wait for that material that they believe that they need. It just seems really fast, Jesse. This is a big case. We know that there have been at least 51 terabytes of information. That's a lot of information turned over to the defense in this case. And I would think they would need more time. But Ann Taylor wrote in a yep. motion, a response to one of the prosecution's motions a couple of weeks ago that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The decision to go with a speedy trial is Brian Koberger's and Brian Koberger's alone. And I thought that was interesting because that's what Brian Koberger wants, it sounds like. But I'm wondering if the defense 
would like to pump the brakes a little bit, the attorneys, because it's a lot to go through. Well, he may feel that the prosecution isn't ready. He may feel we're going to hold them to their burden. And I mean, maybe, maybe he wants this. He feels so confident in the case. He wants to get it over and done with. I just can't imagine this trial happening in two months, less less than two months. (laughs) I can't imagine it. It's a death penalty case. And by the way, when we say October, it's not like the opening statements are going to happen in October. No. Jury selection in this case? How long is that going to take? Are we really having this trial in Lataw County, a county of 40,000 people? Moscow, there's like 25,000 people who live in the city of Moscow. Are we really picking a jury out of Lataw County and not moving this trial to Ada County in Boise or someplace else where people don't know as much about it and weren't impacted as much by it? I I find it, I found it somewhat crazy to think that, you know, defense attorneys, even though let's say they're spending every waking minute of their day on this case, Ann Taylor is the public defender of Kootenai County. I find it crazy that they would be ready to go on October 2nd. And not only are they having to prepare for the evidence, you know, the evidentiary phase of this or the guilt phase, if you would, where they have to look at the evidence, evaluate it and decide what they're what they're going to do. They have to also prepare for possible mitigation in a sentencing phase. Jury selection, they're going to have to death qualify all of these jurors because it's yep. a death penalty case. So they have that's like another layer added to jury selection where you're going to have to get a pool of so many jurors who are who swear to you that yes, we can follow the law and impose the death penalty if we find it to be an appropriate punishment. And so that adds a whole another layer of complexity to this and then you then you do that and then you start again with other stuff of whittling it down to the 12 jurors and the alternates so to me i I just can't even imagine that maybe the state will be ready but i don't know i are they really going to be ready and the defense are they really going to be ready i don't know well, the hearing will definitely tell us a lot about the trajectory of this case i say we say it right now no way this trial is going to happen Come October, Anjanette's going to be there with her with her head, you know, her earmuffs on, her gloves. She's going to be like, right, I didn't freezing. think this was happening, but I'm here. You know, I, I would much rather we do this in the spring just for my own. Well, I wonder <laughs> why. Um, yeah, it's quite, no, quite I, cold I mean, there. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just all kidding aside. This is a very serious case. It's, yeah. It gets very cold there. But, I mean, October, yes. It, it's supposed to be a six-week trial. I mean... I don't think maybe you can do a death penalty case of this magnitude in six weeks. I'm not sure that you really can. I don't think so. I don't. That's my take. I don't think so. But hey, I could be proven wrong. I've been proven wrong before. Anjanette Levy. Great seeing you. Thanks so much for taking the time. You too. Thanks, Jesse. And that's all we have for you right now here on Sidebar, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. Speak to you next time.